welcome into the Draft Report Podcast. I'm Jack Borowski, joined here alongside my co-host, Sam Teets. On this episode, we discuss the QB3 race and who has been the biggest riser from the week at the position. Recap Texas versus Oklahoma. Highlight a riser. Take a look at Dallas Turner's film from this season before finishing off the episode with the top prospects we've watched recently. So, Sam, we got to start by talking about Red River, Texas versus Oklahoma, the noon game. What an amazing you know, performance from both teams. I got to give Brenton Venables credit. Last year, it was a little bit of a shaky start to his Oklahoma campaign. He has them undefeated and probably ranked in the top five after this performance. And you look at some of the numbers, which I thought was crazy, is Oklahoma went six for six in the red zone. Texas scored three points on three red zone drives. Oklahoma did not have a turnover. Texas had three, two of which I think were on their first two offensive possessions. And, you know, we're looking at a four point game in which it looked like Texas was going to win. So what were your thoughts overall just watching one of the craziest games we've seen so far this season? Yeah, as a Clemson fan, I was very happy for Venables to get this off the ground because watching him last year and watching how the team performed last year, knowing they're going to the SEC, I was like, oh man, this is a train wreck. This is just not going to end well based on where it was last year. And now they're playing much better football. I've kind of actually not watched a lot of Oklahoma games this year because I assumed it was still going to be like they hit eventually hit a wall and kind of drop off. They might not have that this year. Uh, they're playing much better football. The defense looks so much better compared to where it was last year in terms of their ability to pressure uh, Quinn Ewers yesterday was fantastic. I know that both the tackles actually protects didn't have bad games uh, necessarily, but the defense for Oklahoma was flying all over the place. And that's something you really did not see as much last year. I thought that was huge. I think Oklahoma's offensive line is much better this year too, which is crazy to say considering they had two tackles drafted in the NFL uh, last cycle, but the offensive line might be even better this year. So I really love what Venables is building there. Dylan Gabriel is not a guy who I would really consider to be a highly draftable prospect, but it wouldn't shock me if he got drafted at some point. I mean, mean, let's let's put it this way. Look at him. Look at Jane Daniels, who we'll talk about a little bit later. The mobility from these guys. Like at this point, after watching these games the other day, the immediate thought in my mind is, why would you ever want a pocket passing quarterback in college football? Just why? Because what Jane Daniels and Dylan Gabriel can do with their legs erase like so many mistakes for your offense. Erase so many problematic situations. And you saw it in the game yesterday. And I think that was a huge difference because Quinn Ewers can move, but he can't move like that. And I think that kind of just stuck out to me. And of course, that first uh, first interception from Quinn Ewers where he sees the defenders right there. He's looking right at it. And he double clutches it and still throws that interception, which was wild to me. Yeah, that was... Probably the you know worst throw of his career. It's on you know first real throw because it was a screen pass to Worthy to start the game goes for a negative yard. Second down and either, either it was ten or eleven, and he just forced it. And at one point, the broadcast Herb Street was trying to justify it. He was like, you know, he was probably. I'm like, nah, he he just forced it. You know, sometimes people have brain farts. You hope that it's not against you know uh, Oklahoma and the. You know, second biggest game of the season, you know, on, you know, in not prime time because it's noon, but basically college football prime time. And I thought, you know, the second interception, 
I, I'm not going to argue either way that it was his fault or it wasn't. Yes, he probably could have thrown a better ball. If we're talking about the QB3 discussion, he should have thrown a better ball. But then I thought he settled in afterwards. I was actually, you know, I was assuming I, we were going to come in and, and crush him for the game. But when you look at it as a whole, he ended up completing 19 straight passes. He had 300 yards, basically, you know, from mid-second quarter on. Was those first two plays early on were, were, were very, you know, were very tough to have. He fumbled, too. So, you know, three turnovers on the day. Yeah. Uh the second half was really good for him. I feel like after you get past that first quarter, things really evened out. To put it this way, I have a stock up, stock down article I write for every Monday. And I was planning on having him in the stock down category, but then the second half happened. I kind of pulled him out. So the stock down category is now just Cameron Moore, KJ Jefferson, Tyler Middyke, Sam Hartman, Brady Cook, all the quarterbacks who made fools of themselves, essentially. Yesterday, Devin Leary as well. Sam Hartman's not... I'm, uh, I mean, Quinn Ewers is not in that group, but he almost was based on how the game started yesterday. I do think it's good to show that mental resilience from him because I don't know if we've necessarily seen that from him in the past. He tends to be a guy where things start going wrong early. They're wrong the entire game. He really did bounce back from this one. So I feel very positive about that moving forward. I do think there's been some mental growth from him uh, in terms of how he approaches the game. But that like that first interception, he had twin slants to his right side. Neither are open. He sees neither of them are open. That's why he doesn't throw the ball initially. And he does it anyways, which makes it even worse because there's a crashing player coming down to contest that second uh, slant. And it's a, it's a pretty ugly interception and a pretty ugly throw on tape. But like I said, overall, I kind of rebound in the second half. Two, two receivers in this game that I'm actually kind of interested in. Haven't got a ton of, of pubs so far, but like uh, Jalil Farouk for Oklahoma and Jordan... Uh, Winnington for Texas. They're both guys where they could be like day three players, perhaps. I don't know if they'll necessarily even both come out, depending on eligibility. Winnington has been their go-to guy for a lot of third down stuff, though, at, at Texas. He's the guy that go to when they need tough yardage, because he is I think, a former high school running back. So I do think there's an athletic element there that could be interesting for him from a draft perspective. Yeah, I think with Whittington, what he brings is he's a senior He'll catch the ball, which is half the battle with these Texas receivers. And you know, he finds ways to get open. Is he a great player? No. Is he a good college player? Yes. And I think Quinn knows that. So he relied on him. Sanders was hurt. But, you know, I thought especially a couple blocks he needed to make. He did it. Uh, you know, he's been kind of playing hurt all season. He's not really a good blocker. Uh, he... I would say he hasn't been unbelievable in terms of securing that tight end two spot. He has had some good plays after the catch and shown the speed, but you know, just some concerns there. But I, I think with Quinn, am I willing, am I going to take him out of the QB three discussion? No. Is he a stock down player this for this week? I wouldn't say so because of how we recovered. I would, the big thing I see is man, does he throw to a lot of wide open receivers? The ball looks pretty coming out. And then you see where it's going. And these guys are just open. You know, whether it be middle of the field to worthy, you know, wide open. He makes a good throw. Like he he makes some really good throws, but not really many contested passes in that offense. He has the probably the best running back in the country. Jonathan Brooks. I want to talk about stock up player. I think, you know, the argument could be made like we're looking at a second round pick right here and maybe the first running back off the board. I, I actually do think that is the case. Not a maybe. I, I think he is. You have 
two NFL left tackles, Christian Jones, who we're going to highlight a little bit later when we talk about the Dallas Turner film. But Christian Jones has been very good this season. Calvin Banks is a top 10 pick next year. You, you know, Whittington, what is your, he's your fourth option at receiver. And I think he'd be most teams too. It's just very easy and you want a little more. I think, though, they'll play each other in the Big 12 championship game because I think maybe Oklahoma has one slip up. And if they do, they're both still a one loss team. And whoever wins the game goes to the um, um, college football playoff. I think Texas is going to be favored in that game potentially by a touchdown, and I think that they're going to win, and that's going to be a big game for Quinn Ewers to show. Right? He, you you can have one loss in college. It's fine. <laughs> it's yeah. not a big deal. Right? It is, it is, I think people are overreacting a little to the first two throws. You see on Twitter a lot of hate for him. I, you know, I, With the way most of these quarterbacks played who were in that conversation, he was right there with him. I was... Not, I was hoping you're hoping for more, right? He was my QB3 going into the season. I was expecting, uh, I, I would say, a better performance similar to the one he had against Oklahoma last season. But yeah, I thought he was under pressure a lot. He ended up really settling down, and you couldn't have asked for a better second half, really. He threw one incompletion, I think, before that last possession. Yeah, I'm, I've been happy with what I've seen from uh, Ethan Downs, the edge rusher from Oklahoma this year. I know when he was a freshman, people were talking about him potentially being like their next really good defender. And that never materialized last season. It was a name who I kind of remember in passing, never really standing out. I'm not talking about him being a top 100 player, but I do think he has helped himself out significantly. This might be a guy where he comes back next year, and that really is the, the catalyst for him becoming a better player and becoming a, a high-level prospect. Uh, but I think the growth from him this year has been very important, both to Oklahoma as a program and to him himself as a prospect. I just had to bring that up because we're talking about Quinn Ewers being under pressure throughout the course of the game. Downs was a big part of that. He and I thought Danny Stutzman played well. He's been uh, a, a player who's you know, 6'4", 240, tackles really well. The instincts are there. He flies to the football. I think he's solid in coverage, especially for that size with you know loose hips. So he's another player who I thought helped himself with a good performance. But yeah, I think Quinn, you can't take him out of the QB3 discussion. Did he cement himself? No. You see more and more popping up as the QB3 with bigger media outlets. I think ESPN had him as the clear quarterback three in a first round prospect. The biggest takeaway, I think, is we have to remember, especially last year, like Anthony Richardson, who couldn't beat Vanderbilt. Anthony Richardson, who didn't throw a touchdown pass until, what was it, week four. Anthony Richardson, who single-handedly lost the Kentucky game. It's very early, and I think with the way Richardson's playing in the NFL, and even C.J. Stroud until the last game of the season had a, a lot of mediocre performances where you would say to yourself, man, they probably lose this game if he doesn't have a thousand weapons and they're playing some bad team. You know, he had some off games last year. Uh, I, I Will Levis didn't obviously help his stock, but he had some bad games. Was still the 33rd pick in the draft, very high. And then uh, Bryce Young as well. You know, he did a lot last season, but there was a couple games, uh, especially like the LSU one where you, you expected more and he was still the first pick. So, I, you know, it's, it's hard to, you know, we do the quarterback three discussion to overreact to one game. Let's not. 
did Ewers help himself with this one? No. You know, did he separate himself? No. He's still in the running. Um, so I think it's a good way, you know, to see like, all right, with the Richardson, Shroud, and Levis, uh, Young, who looks like he's going to be a solid quarterback last night, game to game. Uh, you know, we were talking about Richardson should go back to school at this point last year. <laughs> yeah, no, and he's been very good in the NFL so far. I think he still has the the Cam Newton situation where he makes some really big flash plays, but his overall accuracy is still a little bit questionable at times. Uh, but like, certainly looks better than any of us expected him to at this point in his career. And Stroud, Stroud, Stroud is getting a... I mean, he's playing in a system that does complement him quite a bit and a system that does make things a little bit easier on him. But but given the level of weapons he's working with, or at least what we thought the level of what, how we viewed the weapons he had going into the year, he is like significantly overachieving. This guy's performing at the level of a top 12 quarterback at the very least. If you asked me if I would rather have CJ Stroud or like Derek Carr tomorrow, I think I'd take CJ Stroud pretty, pretty easily right now. That's saying a lot. Uh, Stroud's played really well. And like you said, he had his detractors for a while there last season. So we can't really draw too many conclusions right now. We still need to wait a little bit. Uh, but to your point, yeah, we can't drop Quinn Ewers from the discussion. Michael Pratt didn't play yesterday. Uh, JJ McCarthy played in Minnesota and like was 14 for 20, and they just steamrolled them. So you can't really read too much in that game. Michael Penix didn't play yesterday. Bo Nix didn't play yesterday. There's just not, you can't read too much into this week, in my opinion, for a quarterback three. There just wasn't enough going on. No, I, yeah, I think with the quarterback three discussion, we'll transition to that. I know we've been talking about that basically with, with, with viewers, but just overall, right? Cam Ward was a guy who I probably watched that Oregon State film 15 times. Don't do this to me, Jack. Don't do this to me. <laughs> I, I, you know, you were much higher on him than I was going into the season. And, you know, even with a bad performance, like I give you credit, you saw something that I didn't see. And he is still in that discussion. I think the thing we didn't realize, and it's nothing to do with Ward, granted, I, he, he played poorly, was Oregon State has an elite defense, but who are their elite pass rushers? Liatu Latu and the Murphy twins are unreal, especially going up against yes, uh, the tackles for Washington State. You know, college-level play. It's just they're on an, another level. So he he was under pressure on pretty much every single play. Still had some unreal Houdini-style throws that you fall in love with. And you know, UCLA's defense and secondary is just very good. I'm not taking him out of the discussion. Was he worse than yours? Absolutely. He probably, you know... You know, put up 17 points and have two or three turnover-worthy plays is difficult. So I think that, you know, I was hoping because, you know, McCarthy against Minnesota, I was like, ah, they got a good defense. I don't know if he can rise. We have an off week from Penix and, and, and Bo Nix. And, you know, Ward just disappointed. But hopefully with schedule, you know, he's not going to face guys like that for a little while. Um, we, you know, I, I just think they're the best pass rush trio in uh, the, the Pac-12 with how easily they get after the quarterback. It's not one guy. It's three you got to worry about. So, well, they do crazy things for them, too. Like, they'll they'll do that. Miles Garrett thing, they'll put their guys over the center and just be like, all right, here, here are the Murphy twins mugged up in the A-gaps. Good luck, guys. And that's essentially what they do. They just move them all over the place. So, I, I do want to give Ward a bit of a pass here, but the first interception, at least he threw, was ugly. Like, he underthrew it right to the defender who was sitting right in the throwing lane. So, I, I think that we do have to read into this game a little bit. As much as I would love to write it off, this is probably the best team he's played all year and it did not look good. So 
Yeah, I think we have to yeah, keep expectations realistic with him that there's still development for him to, to make. But overall, I am still happy with the season for him. I just hope he rebounds and gets back to where he was before this week. It, it sounds crazy, but to me, he's the closest thing we've seen to Patrick Mahomes as a prospect, which Patrick Mahomes as a prospect, people forget, is not Caleb Williams, right? You can compare Caleb Williams to pro Patrick Mahomes, but if Patrick Mahomes played like Caleb Williams did in college, he wouldn't have been a surprise 10th pick. He would have been the consensus first pick over Miles Garrett, <laughs> who was the best defensive end prospect in recent memory. So you have to remember that people were not on board with Mahomes being this top 10 pick or being, you know, even like a first round pick um, or like at this point during his junior season. But the, the flash plays with Ward are unbelievable. Truly, you can't find you tweeted about it, the one where he dropped it into the bucket, but the defender just made an amazing play. That was a unreal throw. With touch too, he made some impressive plays. Even like he had the screen pass where Washington State fumbled it, where the arm angle that he was able to put enough velocity on it to throw. Yeah, they 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 were fumbling every single play. These wide receivers that were really good against Oregon State. Ward didn't have much time. He still avoided a lot of sacks. Times held the ball a, a little too much, but you're trying to play hero ball when no one's getting open and you're under pressure every play. It's frustrating. The tackles, you know, more waist benders, so they're getting just beat from the jump with a three-man rush. You know, it's just that's what was happening. So you could drop eight and still get after the quarterback. That's a recipe for success. <laughs> it's just, so it's tough, but I still... If I if I had to put my money on someone, I'm still putting it on him. It's the if Anthony Richardson plays very well this season, I I think he's got you know those. He's obviously not no one. I don't think ever really has the traits Richardson does, but he's got those unbelievable tools to bet on. And I think his highs have been higher than probably anyone else in that QB three conversation this year. Yeah, and you have to think about, too, just where all the quarterbacks got drafted last year. Think about all the guys for fourth and fifth round picks. And, and Cameron Ward is pretty clearly at least a round, a round or two better than those guys. So you feel comfortable with him being at least a top 100 pick at this point, as long as he's able to rebound and have a decent end of the year. Uh, I'm still hopeful that we can see him rebound overall and as he continue to play at the elite level. Probably not in that Heisman debate anymore because those guys are still having really good years. I think Ward kind of dropped himself out of that, but still a player who, from a tool's perspective, is right there with the best player in this class. Yeah, I, I, after week one, I was hoping Michael Pratt would be that player. He was 14 of 15 against South Alabama, and the one incomplete pass he had was his best throw of the day. That should have been a touchdown. So, And then he, he injures his knee and doesn't look like the same player against UAB. It's still in there, but to be quarterback three at Tulane, you, know, you got to maybe do a little more. With McCarthy, it's just so easy. We'll find out more when he plays Penn State and Ohio State. Those are really the only two games that matter for him this season. And those are the ones people are going to go back to. Because everything else, that Michigan team is just unbelievable. You know, credit to Jim Harbaugh. He's done great. But he's, I would say he's the safe front runner at this point. I think he and Ewers are still the two. We've talked about it a lot. If you put it at three and a half first round quarterbacks, I think they're the four would be my guess. I that the Oregon State performance, I just can't get that out of my head with the way Cam Ward played. And I think that there's a shot he's he he re enters the conversation. If Shador goes back, 
which I think is most likely the case. You know, they're struggling to beat Arizona State. They're, they're just going to struggle to beat everyone. I think Shador's going to be able to get them to do it, but you have to take into account everyone else around him. It's just so tough. Go back to school. You're the clear front runner to be the first pick in the draft going into next year. Get a better offensive line. Continue to add weapons. So, and Riley Leonard as well. I think goes back to school after the injury, and I he was playing very mediocre this year. Yeah, I never got the Riley Leonard love. I think we've had this conversation before. I gave him like a fifth round grade in the summer. I never got it. And even against Clemson, the win they had, he did more damage with his legs than with his arm. He never really showcased the ability. The high point that I saw for him last year was against Wake Forest. And I never really saw that from him this year. So I do think he should go back to school because I don't understand the love for these guys who have him as their QB like four or five, especially in this class. I don't get that at all. I just don't see that. When you have someone like Cameron Ward, we talked about Quinn Ewers and J.J. McCarthy, who's done really... I mean, outside of that one game where he threw three interceptions, they still won. He's done not much to really hurt his stock. He's pretty, like I said, a pretty safe QB3 bet. Michael Penix obviously has the injuries, so probably more of a day two guy. But he's playing phenomenal right now. And that whole offense is just cooking everybody. Uh, Bonix is still out there. It's probably a likely third-round pick as well. Spencer Rattler had his worst game of his season. Not this past weekend, but the week before that, uh, when we were both off. But he has worst game. He's still been solid, though, for the course of the year. I would take all those guys over someone like Riley Leonard. And it's still a deep quarterback class. But uh, I do think guys will see more guys go back to school than maybe we had initially anticipated. Leonard's one of them. Shadur, after his kind of collapse, I'll, collapse may be a bit of a harsh way to put it. But after he's kind of come back to earth the past couple of weeks, I think he'll go back to school as well, like you said. Uh, and we'll go from there. But I think those guys will be players to then enter next year's pre-draft conversation in the, in the summer as these likely first-round projections. Yeah, exactly. And with the quarterbacks, we, we've hit on a lot of them, but want to talk risers, just one guy to highlight from this week that you think deserves some attention. Yeah, I'll go ahead and give it to Jane Daniels. The Packers made Sean Clifford a, a decently high pick because he threw for a lot of yards in college and was fast. Well, Jane Daniels has thrown for a lot of yards in college and is fast. And he's really like, when you watch this guy get to his top speed, he's got to be going at least 21 miles per hour. Like, the dude runs at a different level of speed than almost anywhere else on the field when he's at his top, when he accelerates all the way to his top speed. And he does it really quickly. He needs like five or six yards and he's suddenly running over 20 miles per hour. And he's outrunning DBs. And he's got the angle on everybody. The question is always going to be maybe his size. is a little bit of a lean player. So you do worry about the punishment he'll take. He even got banged up in this Missouri game. But this looks like an entirely different player than the guy who I saw at Arizona State. Even the guy I saw last year, he looks much better than that. Am I saying he's going to be a top 100 pick? No. Am I saying he's definitely a guy who's helped himself this year? Absolutely. I think he's really done well. And considering the guys who have been drafted and where they've been drafted the past couple of years, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked. I think fifth round's probably well within range. Bottom of the fourth round is someone who really loves him. I wouldn't take him there, but I could see team definitely being like, okay, yeah, he's got the tools. We'll take him. And he's throwing the guys. Malik Neighbors going to be a first-round pick. Uh, Brian Thomas was a guy who had under like 400, 500 receiving yards the past two years. And now he's probably going to be like a third-round pick at least because he's been an excellent vertical threat for them this year. And it's not all on the receivers doing it by themselves. Shane Daniels is making a lot of throws to really showcase them. 
Yeah, no, he's got a great situation. He's got two first round left tackles for next year. He's got two of the top 10 receivers in the country. Uh, Brian Thomas, you mentioned him. He's been awesome. You know, Mason Taylor at tight end. So he's got the weapons and, you know, he's done very well. I think fourth round just being LSU. It was so funny four, three, four years ago when he, after his freshman year, was like, Howell, Slovis, and Jaden Daniels, they're going to be an unbelievable first round quarterback class. Obviously, none of them have been or will be first rounders. We'll see if the other two follow in Howell's footsteps as NFL starters. But I think he's been very consistently good this year and deserves some praise. The guy I went with was Drake May, more that no one's separated themselves as QB3 and everyone's trying to... Is is Shador competing with him for QB2? Could someone rise to be that QB2 uh, ahead of Drake May? Uh, Short answer is probably no, or not probably, it is no. Was he amazing? Uh, you know, playing Syracuse, he had some really good throws. He has some really good throws every week. Have the stats been unbelievable? No. He, he gets Devontae's Walker back. I think that's the biggest part of him being a riser is he just gets a 4-3 receiver who is six foot two. Um, that helps. <laughs> you know, uh, again, the ACC especially. He and Nate McCollum, now you don't have a bad receiving group. Bryson Nesbitt at tight end. And then O'Mary and Hampton at running back. Like That's a decent enough group. They got Miami this upcoming week. That's a big game because even though Miami lost in a blunder... <laughs> To Georgia Tech, I think that they will probably be favored against UNC even on the road. So that's going to be a really good one. But I think, yeah, I feel like Drake May is the QB2 in the class. He's not QB1. He's not QB3. He's probably the second pick in the draft. Someone's going to trade up to two or whoever has the second pick will take him. Even though probably on draft night, similar to CJ Stroud last year, it's going to be all this crazy hoopla or whatever. But I think different than last year when there, if you had Levis, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, or Richardson as your quarterback, too. I don't think you were crazy. This year, I think someone else besides Drake May, it's probably a little bit of a stretch with how inconsistent everyone's been. And, you know, he has had some turnovers, but so have the other guys who, who, who are in the QB3 conversation. So they're no different. So my biggest riser, Drake May, looked good again Saturday. No need to overreact that he's QB1. No need to overreact that he isn't QB2. So he just kind of, I think, cemented himself as the guy who's going to be the second one off the board, which should be the case. He, he He's a very good player. So oh, you said getting, getting Devontae's Walker back will be huge because it gives him the vertical threat. They've already hit some big plays downfield. The Walker's an entirely different player. And you also get that yards of the catchability with him as well as just pure speed. I think it's great that he's back on the field. And now Devontae's Walker comes back to this wide receiver conversation. We have a lot of receivers now. We'll have to do an episode on this eventually. But the wide receiver class this year, maybe not too many superstars, but the depth of it is looking really good now through the first three rounds, at least. A lot of names, a lot of names. And for your riser of the week, you originally had one, and then we had an unbelievable 10 o'clock game uh, between Arizona and USC. So now you have a or. It's like a depth chart. You have an and or next to another name. So two wide receivers to highlight. Sam, who do you got as the risers of the week to highlight? Yeah, I, I won't go too deep in either one of these guys, but Malachi Corley from Western Kentucky and Jacob Cowling from Arizona. Both 
more, I say, unconventional receivers. Cowings are really true slot. They're the smaller player. Tore up USC last night. It didn't have a ton of yards, but he had four touchdowns. And you watch every one of them. There's, I mean, he's a terrific route runner. Fantastic hands, great route runner. And a player I've had consistently around the top 100 throughout the course of this season. Last year, I was lower on him. Last year, I think I had more of a four slash five grade on him last summer when I evaluated him. This year was more of a three dash four. I think he'd still be more of a fourth round pick because again, not, not the biggest player, but a really good route runner. And you see the shifty ability. You see the ability to create space and separation naturally. I really like him. So I think he's a really good player. And then Malachi Corley, I've talked about him before. One of my guys this year, I think he had over 200 yards or over at least 180 yards uh, on Thursday night. Dude was dealing, man. He was so good. Eight receptions for 207 yards and three touchdowns. There's a 70-yard score in there. The guy is fantastic creating after the catch. Over 70% of his career receiving yards have been created after the catch. And part of it is that Western Kentucky offense that is just a fantasy land offense. It's not realistic at all to play in the NFL. But you watch his toughness, the speed, the physicality he has. He is just a unique athlete in this class. There's not a ton of guys like him. Uh, I think he'll be a very team-slash-scheme-specific player, and it's not going to be for everybody. But if you have a role where you're willing to give him touches and just let, let him cook over time, you're going to love this player because his ability to create is fantastic. He's probably the best guy with the ball in his hands in this draft class overall. Now, some of our guys can challenge for that. Xavier Worthy, of course, has some good twitch and speed, but Corley's definitely up there. Absolutely. And with Kyle Shanahan's success with Devo Samuel, and you mentioned C.J. Stroud, I wouldn't be shocked if Bobby Slowick, their offensive coordinator, is a head coach after one season. <laughs> you know, whoever, wherever he goes may, may, may utilize Corley, but just the sheer number of Kyle Shanahan disciples. I, I think there's enough teams out there. Well, that's the great thing for some of these guys. Even like a, a Jalen Polk we'll talk about later. The more creative offensive coordinators we have in this class who are, moving or will, or who are willing to move guys around and use guys like that, you're going to see these players become more and more popular. And I think you've got the Shanahan disciples are getting their own coaching gigs now and they're succeeding at this point. So you have more offenses now. You know we're going to use players like this. Next segment we're talking about wait actually i have to highlight i was i was going too fast i was gonna go straight to dallas turner i gotta highlight my riser of the week jared verse and the reason i put him there is he had two sacks and they were clean sacks they were good sacks it was virginia tech but it seems like everyone is trying to eliminate him from the edge one discussion is it chop robinson is it dallas turner is it liatu latu because his sack numbers weren't there. And like, I don't know. I'm watching the film. And has he been a dominant passer? Or no, he's been an elite run defender. That's what you know, my conclusion was. An elite run defender. He's still a freak athlete. Gets after the quarterback consistently. and just wasn't converting them into sacks. But yeah, you could argue that this F Florida State team has kind of slept walked through most of their games. But I think he kind of heard that all right, I haven't had the sack numbers yet. Let me just go get a couple of those to kind of quiet people who have been saying that, yeah, I'm not this clear-cut first-round pick or top-20 pick, which I think he is. You know, His body of work has been so impressive that think about all the tackles he crushed last year and this year. Yeah, he's not producing against Southern Miss, but nor is anyone else like Boston College. Was it a great game? No, I think if you said, hey, 
your draft stocks by determined by this game. He probably has three sacks, but just with the way FSU has played this season, I thought his Clemson tape was very good. Uh, he just didn't have sacks. Klubnik got the ball out quickly enough. Which credit to him. I, I, I hate to bring that game back uh, for you, but um, and he he had the two sacks. That's what I need. Was it his best performance? Absolutely not. But people wanted to see the production, so he went out and he gave them production. So uh, that was my guy. Yeah, it's your boy in the Florida State game. I thought he was awesome against the run in that game. I mean, he was great, I thought. That's something that's really jumped out this year, like you mentioned. He's been really good against the run. Even in the Virginia Tech game, he had an opportunity to make a, a run stop in the backfield. Just kind of slipped off the tackle a little bit. But he's been there. He's been making those bigger plays, and he didn't do that as much last year. Uh, so I think that's a that shows growth in his game. And I do think some of the the hate or some of the guys who are trying to detract from Jared Verse aren't really all spot on. It's just not going to be a elite run class, an elite uh, pass rush class where you have a Miles Garrett or something like that. You don't have that player this year, and that's fine. It happens, but Verse is still absolutely like an edge one for me, or at least in the discussion. Uh, and he's definitely a first round pick. Yeah, with, with Latu's medical history, I think Chop Robinson has kind of come on against Iowa and Northwestern, which, you know, Adisa Isaac was very good against them too. Like, you know, like they're, they're not, you know, it's not one of those things where it's like, oh, did you see him go out and dominate this NFL caliber offensive tackle? So when they play, really Ohio State doesn't have much. You know, he's not going to really face many good players in the Big 12, but oh, not the Big 12, the Big 10. But yeah, with, with Verse, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, you're just playing mediocre offensive tackles. I think when you come back after having such a dominant season, but I wouldn't say such a dominant season, but an incredibly good season, you know, maybe you're, you know, taking a playoff here and there. They also, you know, play them in, you know, as a Sam backer sometimes and just kind of don't have him just pin his ear back, pin his ears back and go. They rotate a lot. I think if they just played him more and said, just go rush the quarterback, he'd be more productive. So I don't understand. I still think he's the furthest edge off the board. You don't you don't have to be like take away from Jared Verse and pump up guys who maybe just haven't had the seasons we're portraying that they've had to try and make it like we have this elite pass rusher. You know, Verse to me is still the best one. The other two guys, Alice Turner and Chop Robinson, have definitely been better. And you can even throw in Liatu Latu, but I still have Verse clearly as my edge one. Now, though, I wanted to get to this segment so quickly that I almost passed by Jared Verse, but Dallas Turner, thoughts on him this season? We discussed Christian Haynes in the past episode. He's really improved his stock. Where are you at, Sam, with Dallas Turner this season? The stats have been great, but where are you at with the film? Yeah, so if you don't know ahead of the season, I didn't have first on Grand Dallas Turner. I know a lot of people were high on him. I know a lot of people have been high on him since his freshman year. I thought he wasn't very good last year, frankly. So I, I didn't have this locked-in top 40, top 50 grade on him. I was a little bit lower on that. It's like, yeah, maybe, maybe top 50, but more of like a true mid to late second rounder. Uh, I'm much more in the range of he's going to be a top 30 player this year or top 32 player this year after the way he started the season. Uh, I don't count the game where he had like three sacks against a really small school, like one of the, one of the, floor, one of the directional floor schools. Yeah, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, I didn't watch that tape just because, again, it's he's got so many better teams he's going to play this year. Why bother watching that? Uh, 
he has benefited a little bit from like the stunts and some games up front. But I think he's shown much better power this year. I did even say like in my in my summer report saying he plays like a power edge rusher stuck in a guy like stuck in a smaller body, essentially. And he still does that to some extent, but he's shown much better violence in his hands and power in his hands to really make up for the fact that he's a smaller player. He's going to be a, a non-positional versatile player in the NFL. He's going to be an outside linebacker. He has to be. He can't play defensive end. That being said, like the power he has is pretty interesting. He's got a long arm move to really work off of speed and power with as well. Uh, you got rip move in there. He's got some push pull moves as well. He's been more willing to counter into the B gap this year, which I think has been really huge for his game because uh, he's not really bending. He's not going to flip the corner the easiest. So he's not going to be able to consistently win around the outside. So countering inside is a huge part of his game. And I'm glad to see he's doing that more this year. Uh, again, like I said, not the bendiest player. So that's going to be a, a bit of a demerit for him. But he has been much better at setting the edge this year in the run game. And that's something I think is huge for him because it wasn't last year was not great for him in the run in run defense this year. Man, he's been really good against SEC teams in the run. I'm very impressed with his ability to stack blocks. It's your set of hard edge. And you're seeing him penetrate too. Like he'll just shoot into the backfield and make tackles for loss. Um, so I've been very impressed with him in run defense this year. And overall, the power for a guy who has a limited frame is very impressive. He's not going to be for everybody, but I do think he's going to inevitably be a first round pick if this production continues. Will he be a first-rounder? Probably. Here's my question. Who at this point, with, with Dallas Turner and the tape you've seen so far this season, comparing it to B.J. Ojolari last year, a guy who went, I believe it was 41st or 42nd to the Cardinals in that same kind of build, or not exactly, but measurable-wise, pretty similar, who would you be higher on? Oh boy. Uh Ojalari had a better pass rush arsenal. You watch Turner and he's still relying on a bunch of the same things. Like I said, I it's a longer move, rip move, some speed to power, and some push pull. That's a decent pass rush arsenal. It's not great. You watch someone like Latu and UCLA or someone like BJ Ojalari last year, and they had a ton of golf clubs in their bag. And, and Turner does not have that right now. So I am a little concerned that he'll be like more of a late guy. I think he does get picked first round inevitably. Uh, but if you ask me who I take above him this year's draft class, I would take Chop first and Latu above him at edge right now. So again, I- I'm kind of still halfway in, halfway out. I, I have him like that late first round grade because again, I don't have, you're not going to have 32 true first round grades. I'm going to have maybe like 16, 17. I think Turner can be one of those guys who kind of fits into that back end of the first round conversation. Uh, but he has been better this year. I'll give him that. He's been better this year than last year. If you had to compare him to beat Jojo Lari, I think Ojo Lari didn't have the power and the run defense capability that Turner does, but he was a better pass rusher. Yeah, it's interesting. Just looking at Dallas Turner and people are saying top 10 pick. Did, I, I right, compare him more to Derek Hall, honestly, if I had to jump in there. like Derek, Derek Hall is a little bit more of the comparison. I forgot about him. Yeah, that is. I was just was thinking early second rounder kind of comparison. I was like, well, it's not Isaiah Foskey or Keon White. I was like, oh, BJ Ojalar. I totally forgot Derek White or Derek Hall uh, went 37th or 30. I can't remember the number, but early, early 30s to Seattle. Um, 
So that that yeah, that's a better comparison. Uh, we, we, none of which are top ten picks. You know, it's just everyone we're <laughs> yeah. talking about compared. I I started and I watched the Texas game. Why those are the two best tackles he has faced this season? He had one really solid pass rush play that he had, and outside of that, I thought beat, solid run defender. One good pass rush play uh, where he converted speed to power decently well, and then you know, came off his block and got to Ewers. Ewers had stepped up in the pocket. Outside of that, he really didn't do much as a pass rusher. I'm not trying trying to say that the Mississippi State and Ole Miss tackles and even Texas A&M these like the left tackle for A&M, the tackles for Ole Miss, the tackles for Mississippi State. I don't know if any of them are draftable. I don't believe any of them are draftable. The two he faced that are draftable, Kelvin Banks and Christian Jones, I thought won the battles against him. I think everyone's overreacting to production against media. Yes, two sacks against USF is awesome. Two sacks against Ole Miss is awesome. I've watched these teams play, or actually, that's not true. I've not watched USF play outside of that game, but I've watched Ole Miss. I've watched Mississippi State. I watched Texas A&M. No one has ever said, look at the offensive linemen that they have on their team. So it's just, you know, when he plays in some better teams, like when he plays LSU, that will be a big game. Because LSU has two legitimate, you know, future NFL starting tackles. So like th- that's where we really get to see, but pump the brakes on he's a top 10 pick. I'm still trying to figure out where he wins in the NFL because I still think it's going to take time too, right? The power's improved, but he still goes to the NFL and the power will be there. And he's got to develop more as a pass rusher. And then the Ben's not there too. You know, I don't know. I, I've never been super impressed with him. I, I think that I, I would easily take a player like Chop over him. I don't, you know, if we're talking about those similar, you know, how they're going to come in measurable wise, I would think Chop, what he brings in terms of his bed, the explosiveness, there are ways where he could win. He's a freakier athlete. Yes, the play strength isn't necessarily great, but I'm still not convinced it will necessarily translate at a high level for Dallas Turner. So I pump the brakes on he's the best defender in the draft and a top 10 pick. I think, yeah, he'll go in the first round because Alabama helmet, but I really haven't been super impressed with the production's been there. Yeah, I, I sent a, I tried getting Dane Brugler and Nate Tice to respond to a question I said the one time asking, why are we so high on this year's edge rushers and not, not calling out like Latu and Verse because I, I see it with those two guys, but I was like, what? Why is what's the difference between like BJ Ojolari, Keon White, some of these guys who are like these lower round picks or or weren't viewed necessarily as these consensus ones compared to the guys who have ranked as consensus top 15 players right now who are lesser prospects? Arguably, I, I just didn't understand why some of these guys are ranked differently. Like, why is JT from Ohio State this top 15 guy when Tui to a low Tui to a <laughs> Hello? I can't say the last name. I tried really hard. I'm sorry. Truly, but the guy who was from like, <laughs> yes, who played at USC last year, he's actually been really good for the Chargers this year. But why was he like a second round pick? I really saw it's like round pick. And why is JT this locked to be a top 15, top 16 player? I, I just don't get the, I don't see it. I don't understand why some of these guys are getting push up boards. Uh, Dallas Turner, like I said, comparing him to Derek Hall. 
I just don't understand why these players are viewed so differently when I think there's a lot of comparable parts to it. So that that's that's how I say this year's edge class. It's really weird to me why people are so enamored with some players when I, I can see the easy comparables to the players last year who were drafted round like a round, full round lower than where these guys are getting uh, projected. Yeah, I think you look at the safety class this year, there's a lot of really good players. You look at the corner class this year, you know, there's there's some good guys. I mean, linebacker, but like, I, I think everyone talks about the edge rushers always, right? Will Anderson, Tyree Wilson. It's the position on defense where guys tend to go the highest. So we're trying to manufacture players. I'm totally fine if Jared Verse, you know, I, I, I just think what he did, especially on film last year, like the, the tackles he was beating up on was incredibly impressive. I'm assuming he'll finish with probably six, seven sacks. He's going to test really well. You look at the whole body of work. He's an elite college run defender. I think he's going to be a very good run defender. The power is awesome. I think he's the first edge taken. And if that's manufactured into him being the ninth or tenth pick, that's completely fine. I think he's going to be a really good starter. But let's not say any of them are top five picks. And let, let's not just put Dallas Turner because the sack numbers are there as this contestant's top ten pick, which is not... No, it's, an, it's not an indictment on Dallas Turner. He's playing really well and has a chance to be a first-round pick, which is unbelievable. But let's pump the brakes that we're looking at this, you know, clear top. Like, who's the first defender off the board? Who's the top 10 pick? It's like, oh, it, it may be later. And that's okay because we do have at least two quarterbacks, you know, a couple wide receivers, the best tight end ever. We have the best tackle class ever. Like, it's fine if they go higher than the defenders. No worries. We'll see a, a, a defensive back maybe sneak in there or something. It's just the the defensive line class as a whole. Even the D-tackles. I thought Mason Smith, after the freshman year he had, was going to elevate himself to be that top 10 pick. He's been non-existent this season. Jerzon Newton won't be for you know half the teams in the league. You know He's the Kalijah Kansi mold. Still goes in the first round, but not this top 10 pick. And then, you know, the corners are good, but like, you know, Kalen King, the size factor will be, you know, something that teams talk about and how fast is Kool-Aid McKinstry, you know, sneaky Nate Wiggins corner one, maybe. But uh, <laughs> you just we'll see with it all. But you're right. It's not a good defensive class. That's OK. There are a lot of good offensive players to take. Well, yeah. And we saw with how how and where the offensive tackles went last year. It's going to be the same thing, right? Like teams are going to take all these guys in the top 15 picks, essentially, because that's what happened with the tackles last year. It's going to happen again because there's a bunch of tackles everyone likes this year round. Uh, Joel, by the way, got picked on by Louisville last night. I want to put that on a record. Uh, but there are a lot oh, of tackles who I think will be in consideration to go high this year. So you can get the defensive players are going to naturally get pushed down the board. I think what's funny is Joe all and. I feel like we're just hating on these guys who are considered top 10 picks right now, but all tape against Notre Dame, which I personally have not watched. People have liked it a lot. And I'm more saying to myself, I think those edge rushers are like a round or two higher than they probably should be. And he's not going up against, you know, JT and Jack Sawyer, not first round players that he, he, he is basing. So yeah, the, the Ohio state tape. Yeah, that was, Kind of a mediocre game overall for the entirety of of Notre Dame. There have been games like Grant, like the uh, North Carolina State game, I thought was really good for all. I believe earlier in the year. Yeah, yeah. But, that but one then, was. like last last night, I mean, 
I, I put balance down as a concern for him going into the year. And last night, he was on his butt two or three times against Louisville. And it's just, man, there are ways to get to this guy, dude. You can, you can knock this guy down. You can beat him in pass protection. Uh, so I think that this top, this top 10 consensus hype for him is a little bit wild to me. Still, that he's getting that kind of stuff. Even six weeks into the year, I, I understood it over the summer because not everyone watches everything over the summer, but I'm still pretty surprised he's getting that at this point. Six seven offensive tackle at Notre Dame, who other people hype, you know. It's and he had and you know the he didn't give up a sack against those Ohio State rushers, but I don't really think that's saying a ton. I think it's more that you know I think those guys a little bit back to the edge class. We'll we'll take Joe Alt and we'll turn into we're going back to the edge class. So we're not just hating on Joe Alt here, but to reflect with Dallas Turner is I just think these guys when they play solid tackles won't be as good as we've seen, which was the case with Dallas Turner against. Texas, I felt like, granted, Texas gets the ball out quick, a lot of screen game, everything, but his true pass rush reps were pretty average at, at best. So, enough talk on uh, Dallas Turner, Joe Alt, and the consensus top 10 guys. We got to get to some underrated players that we have recently watched. So, prospect list for this week, Jalen Polk, wide receiver, Washington. Jalen McMillan, wide receiver, Washington. <laughs> Bob Means, wide receiver, Pitt. Troy Faltineau. Offensive lineman, Washington, get the theme here. And then Kingsley Suamataia, which hopefully I pronounced that right. Offensive tackle, BYU. So West Coast heavy episode, four of the five. Uh, so we'll start with the wide receiver, Jalen Polk, wide receiver, Washington. This was a revelation to me. I had this guy projected like, ah, fourth round player. I watched a little bit of him before doing the full sit down. So like, ah, fourth round guy. He has got some good plays on tape and all that stuff. And I'd seen him move around. I look at his body type. I'm like, guys, oh, kind of like a gadget player, maybe fourth round dude. Sit down, watch the whole thing. Oh my God. This guy's going to be like a second round player. I have a second round grade on him. Uh, and I, maybe he falls a little bit, but I think top 70 for sure. And he's one of seven or eight receivers I have with t- in the top 60 right now, which tells you a lot about this class. It's been pretty good filling out with the second round guys. Uh, so I, I, I love Jalen Polk's tape. And uh, if you told me you get Romo Dunze in the middle of the first round or Jalen Polk in the middle of the second round, I might just say, give me Polk in the middle of the second round, honestly, for the value perspective. Uh, so despite serving as the team's third option at wide receiver in 2022, Polk is a, is as good of an NFL prospect as any player in Washington's offense, his ball skills and physical tools, make him a high upside prospect capable of thriving in diverse roles and personnel packages. So he can play in the slot. He can play outside. Either of those work. A lot of special team experience on kick return, punt return, and the punt recovery units as well. The arm length is really impressive. His catch radius is nuts. And some of the stuff this guy does at the catch point is fantastic. In terms of the ability to contort his body, uh, use that body control, extend his arms, make catches outside his frame. All was really good. He's got a nice ideal mix of height and weight as well. And the speed at that size is what really pops as well. He's got the speed to threaten corners downfield, overtaking stack off man defenders and separating crossers as well. Uh, he's got a nice double hand swipe to help beat press coverage, quick feet at the top of the stem that really help him on comeback routes. And he sells double moves really well. Uh, he's got he's quick to throw it down and reaccelerate on stutter goes. And he's really good at selling vertical routes, uh, selling the vertical element of post routes that help set up that route as well. 
He won on two Allen ups against Michigan State in 2022. That's a route he does pretty well. So that can help him uh, also threaten teams. That's actually a pretty good route tree here for him. Uh, his routes do tend to drift downfield a little bit on some of the sharp cutting ones, some of the sharp inner outbreaking routes. But his route tree overall is, is better than I expected. Uh, and I think he's got some real ability to threaten after the catch with all those physical traits. He hasn't really shown that yet in terms of his true ability to create after the catch. But I think we can project he'll have that next level based on just all the traits he has. And he's erased a lot of questionable throws from Michael Penix over the years. Uh, Penix is a good player. He's an accurate quarterback. But Polk has made him look good a couple of times here. And so I, I think he is legit second-round caliber talent. I'm glad you put him there because I've got a second-round grade on him as well. I think of the three wide receivers there, he'd be the one I'd want. I know we weren't as high on, on Rome as some other people are. And I, I think Rome is trending in, in the direction that he'll probably be a first-round pick. I'd much rather take uh, Polk in the second round, which is more uh, of saying how good I, I think he is at speed, at that size. I think it's going to be on full display against you know the, the Oregon secondary next week. It could be his coming out party because Kyrie Jackson, the top Oregon cornerback, he's fantastic. I wonder if he gets a, his fair share uh, of Romo Dunze. So, uh, uh, yeah, Polk's awesome. But I, I think that... Can you believe this guy was the wide receiver three on this team in 2020? That's unfair. Clemson doesn't have a wide receiver like uh, maybe they should go get three or four maybe they should go get Polk in in, in the transfer portal (laughs) maybe I mean Washington (laughs) has three or four wide receivers to be wide receiver one on Clemson tomorrow same thing for USC it's totally unfair no you are right so yeah so Penix has definitely helped out so I'm glad you liked him I think the league's gonna be very high on him and I would not be surprised if he's a top 10 receiver and a second round pick by the end of the year in a household name, which I think he could have a really big game against Oregon. They don't have an elite secondary. He's an elite player. So I'm glad you liked him. And then Jalen McMillan, the third Washington wide receiver. I'm lower on him. I am a fourth round grade. The fiscal tools are not really there for him compared to the other players at Washington. I think he's more of a zone-beating slot receiver who works primarily at the short to intermediate levels. I know he ran track in high school. I've been beaten to death on this Romo Dunze point that he ran track in high school and it's really fast, even though it doesn't always jump out on tape. McMillan's speed doesn't jump out on tape a ton either. Ever plays against Michigan State last year, because I did go back and watch some of that tape because he's been banged up this year, hasn't played in every game. Uh, But... He doesn't consistently separate vertically compared to Odunz, I think, does a bit better of a job of that. Uh, Polk does a better job of that. McMillan looks slow compared to the other Washington wide receivers. And maybe it's just because they're all super fast. But he doesn't have that as much speed as I was hoping for, especially for a player at his size, a bit smaller. Like I said, probably going to be a full-time slot in the NFL. That being said, he is a precise and detailed route runner who generates separation with his footwork and veteran-savvy movements. Again, former high school track star. Uh, speed, not as good as I was hoping for. Not as much of that burst, but still enough at times to create separation and create after the catch. Uh, you see the acceleration he shows on hesitation moves is really impressive. So some of that going 0-60 to 60, uh, will help him out in the next level. Total mismatch in terms of his agility upside against box safeties, linebackers, those overhang coverage defenders in the slot, they cannot stick with him. Uh, So he'll torch all those guys. Good varied release timing and and pacing. 
throw his shoulder and head fakes, uh, the detail in his route running, the crisp cuts, the quick feet at the top of the stem, uh, and how he snaps it off, the hip sink, the deceleration. That's all very impressive by him. That's primarily how he wins, in my opinion, is with his route running and that kind of, I'll call it agility, but the agile upside he showcased at the top of the stem is really good as well. And you'll see him be able to chain uh, some cuts together mid-route to create separation and spacing versus zone. And he's got a good feel for those holes in zone most of the time. Uh, my negatives with him, it doesn't really have the true pure speed or size to create a ton after the catch. He's bumped off his routes by minimal contact. His athletic profile appears to be maybe just slightly above average. It's not really that great. Bit of a lean build as well. I was expecting more burst from him off the line. I didn't get a ton of that. And one of the big things I have for him, this guy runs right into defenders sometimes in terms of his route running. I don't understand it. There's a ton of space in the field and he'll run his route right into the defender. And again, he gets bounced off by minimal contact. He'll go right into the defender. And these are not routes where he's trying to clear out or pick guys. This is just him running directly at the defender. And I don't understand it. Uh, so that was one of my big concerns with him is he just, he runs himself into coverage sometimes. I don't get why. He's going to need to correct that next level because he's not that kind of athlete where he'll win a ton of contested catches. My biggest takeaway was, wow, he's wide receiver three. Because we talk about a lot of teams who have a third wide receiver. Like Ohio State always has a third guy or fourth or fifth on their team who will eventually be a first. But they have three guys who are going to be top four round picks this year. I think two of them are easily top 75 guys like don't know where McMillan is but with the way he's played this year right I'm more with you maybe early day three but easily could see a team taking him day two so I think probably three top 100 picks would be my guess depending on how the third round of this receiver class shakes out because there's a lot of them so right maybe fourth round grade but teams have him as a third rounder so I, I think that's you know with Michael Penix, we talk about, right, he's been phenomenal this season, but he's got the three of the best draft-eligible receivers you can possibly have. And I think that they all complement each other really well. Like This is an NFL. It's like they drafted them. <laughs> they drafted the three of them <laughs> with the way that they play. And, you know, they're great in that offense. And then, you know, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more in the offensive line in a sec. But I think, Penix, you're going to get the conversation of, man, like, how good are the players around him? A little bit like with Hendon Hooker last year. So yeah, fan of McMillan, third best receiver there, but that's not that's not saying something negative about him. Is that he's still yeah. a, a fantastic? I mean, think, think about the teams that could have three wide receivers drafted. We talked about Texas and Whittington earlier today. Whittington is their three in terms of draftable players, and he's he's like a, a late day three, maybe mid day three, if someone really likes some kind of guy. Like he's not gonna blow you away. USC with uh, Dorian Singer and Brendan Rice and uh, Taj Washington, who are all probably maybe all day three guys, but they're all have like some upside. They got good depth, but don't have the star power. Washington just has the star power. <laughs> I mean, they got they got star power and depth in these guys. So it's it's pretty incredible. They got three really unique players who all are high upside guys. So. From going to a team with a quarterback in the Heisman race to a team who just switched their quarterback, Phil Dracovic, from quarterback to tight end. I don't know if you saw that, I but did. oh my gosh. So, <laughs> Mum means 
wide receiver at Pitt. He's definitely not going to be helped out by the quarterback situation. You know, that's just hasn't been great this year, but take me through what means as a prospect. We might have to fly him for his decision making because he chose to transfer to Pitt. Uh, that could be <laughs> no. I mean, I mean, seriously though, in, in a world where we, he he wouldn't be a quarterback scout, we'll say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In in a world where he transferred to Washington, USC, Colorado, now and basically any Pac-12 school at this point, uh, you end up at Pitt, and he's really struggled. It's not the right word. He himself has not struggled. It's been the quarterback play has really been at fault for his issues. He was targeted. 11 times against Cincinnati and did not catch a pass. And it was not his fault, or at least according to PFF. Uh, he, it was not his fault at all. He was under the, he had, he beat the Cincinnati core like really early in the game, beat him, had him a step or two ahead of him. And the ball is just thrown so short and out of bounds. And he beat, he beat a corner again later in the game. And it was a bad throw again. Bub Means is really unique because he's got decent size. He's unofficially this at 6'2", 215. I think it's probably more like 6'1", 207, 208, which is still good size. But the speed, the field stretching ability he has is phenomenal. Now, I think he could be a field stretching X or maybe even a slot guy. I know not this year, but last year, Pittsburgh used him in the slot a lot more. And it was very successful. They got some really good matchups from him in that area. Uh so I don't know where you line him up, but I know this guy's going to be an excellent vertical threat. I think he's more of a, a mid to late fourth round player for me because he might just be a vertical guy, like a pure vertical guy in the NFL. But every team needs at least one of those players on their team. Uh, means is an excellent vertical threat with the acceleration, speed, and size to stack corners and generate chunk plays downfield. Pittsburgh's struggles at quarterback are preventing him from reaching his full potential. Uh, he probably won't be a full, like a high volume receiver in the NFL, in my opinion. He's probably gonna be more of a role specific guy, but I still think he's got he's got the goods, man. He's been awesome. If you put, he's got thirty three and a quarter inch arms, supposedly, which is fantastic, good size already. And if you play him against cover one or cover zero, the dude will eat you alive over the top. He is phenomenal downfield. I do wish he was a little bit more physical in contested catch situations. Uh, there have been moments where trying to track the ball over his shoulder have been problematic at times. So there's some some warts there. He's not really a truly twitchy athlete. And I think he can diversify his release package as well. But in terms of the vertical route tree, the vertical plane, the long strides, the top speed is going to be over 20 miles per hour, Pretty, I think, pretty easily. Uh, if he's even with a defensive back at any point, he's leaving. He's going to get by you. It's that old, old cliche saying, if he's even, he's leaving. Uh, the top speed is great. And he's got the impressive acceleration off the line to threaten defenders who are off, who are playing off man or off the ball. He's a true speed mismatch versus uh, defenders in the slot. And he's actually got some pretty crisp breaks on post and corner routes as well to help create separation that way. I do think that the routes that ask him to make sharp cuts, sharp cuts and sharp turns, like comeback routes, some of the in and out breaking stuff, not quite as good at that stuff but still passable on the in and out breaking routes. Comeback routes, not really something he's going to be true, truly good at. It takes him a little bit too long to kind of decelerate and stop. Uh, but again, you want him working the vertical plane? Yeah, he's got that for you. The little things at wide receiver, I think, have been his issue the past few years, and he's gotten better. I think every time I've watched him, he's always been open and dropped the pass or fumbled or 
was in the wrong spot. Like little things that you're like, oh, if he just corrected these, he'd be a superstar. And I think he's slowly doing that. He's a perfect fourth round upside receiver that you take. I don't want to take him as a top 100 guy because I don't necessarily think he's a day one starter for me. And it's a really good receiver class. But I think with his upside and just he's going to test off the charts. You're going to see you know, what he can do vertically. You talked about he's awesome. I think if he was on a, in another on another team, his stats would you know, he would they would be off the charts. So I think just what he brings to the table, especially at the collegiate level is fantastic. Right. He's got to get better at the little things. But that's what NFL coaches are for. That's what you pay him is to take guys who are going to, you know, jump 60 inches and uh, you teach him how to run routes a little bit. So, um, yeah, I'm glad you liked him because I'm a fan as well. Perfect fourth round wide receiver who you're very happy and hope you can develop into uh, a good starter. So, uh, all means next offensive line, Troy Fountain. I did not make it easy on myself with the last names of the offensive linemen this week, offensive lineman at Washington. No, you're not kidding. It's much more difficult this time around, but I'm glad you're the one saying it. Uh, <laughs> I I liked him. I gave him a mid-second to early third-round grade. I think it depends on what role you envision for this player because I think he's a guard. He's a really athletic left tackle. There are flashes and there are moments where like, oh, he could stick a tackle. He's got the arm like to do it and all that stuff. And then there are times where just, he doesn't have the power, man. He does not have like the lower body and the true thickness of his frame to really be an NFL tackle. Uh, so I think guard is the way to go. Really athletic guard. I think he could play in the that kind of Kyle Shanahan wide zone scheme or outside zone scheme and be perfect because the movement skills he has are great in the open field. And he's got good speed too for alignment. So I think you can play him in most schemes at, at, actually. Uh, but I like the movement skills. I just don't think he has the true bulk to be an NFL offensive tackle. So my one-liner on him, He's an athletic left tackle with exciting hand usage and movement skills, but concerns about his tendency to overset and his play strength could force him inside to guard early in his NFL career. I do think there's a, maybe an option for him to eventually get back outside of tackle because he does have the, the arm measurements, 34 and three-quarter inch arms, uh, supposedly. Will he eventually get out there? I, I can't tell you for sure. I think you have to draft him and believe he's a guard for now. Uh, some of the positives, the hand usage. I really like what he does with his hands, man. Quick hands, he's quick to replace them when they get swiped away. Really good at attacking the defender's hands as well. You see uh, him use the snatch trap a lot, and that's not something you see from a ton of players. Dewan Jones did a lot last year, uh, but Fontenot has been doing it at a high level this year. Really good at countering long arm moves, which is good right now because he really has struggled against those in the past. He's gotten much better at kind of snatching those and trapping them as well, so he kind of... Uh, mitigates their ability to win with speed to power on through long arm through long arm moves. Uh, good flashes of heavy hands with stiff punches. He'll even throw feints to kind of confuse and disorient defenders. Uh, active hands that really throw off the defender's balance as well. He lines up low in his stance, good pad level, wide base, and maintains his knee bend throughout, his, uh, throughout the course of pass protection. So it's just a very good overall athlete. Uh, and he'll occasionally take a jump set to take the air out of the pass rush. Got a nice explosive initial step. Really good lateral movement as well. So the movement skills for him are, are fantastic. And he's got a hot motor as well. He's willing and happy to pancake defenders. Always he's looking for extra work. And he's comfortable climbing to the second level and making blocks uh, on linebackers or slot defenders, etc. The negatives, like I said, 
bit of a lean frame for a tackle. The, the play strength is questionable, especially in his lower half. You can see he doesn't really channel a lot of power through his base and pass protection. Uh, he frequently oversets. It's an issue for him. He needs to correct. And he then he's late to redirect uh, inside to protect the B gap as well when that happens. His footwork will get wild at times. He'll start to freelance a little bit too early in the play for my liking. And he will allow defenders into his chest because his hand placement will be a little bit too high, a little bit too wide at times. Uh, I think more independent hand usage will be important. Right now, he loves using two hands consistently. I think a little bit more independent hand usage should be great. The UCLA tape was not fantastic. It wasn't horrible, but it wasn't fantastic from last year. Uh, again, we talked about the Murphy twins and Latu. They're just on the NFL, they're on the NFL level passers trio. And he had a little bit of a struggle against those, some of those guys. Uh, get his ground to speed to power. And overall, I think the balance he has is a little bit inconsistent at times. That's why the footwork gets a little bit wild. Uh, and he's late to recognize stunts as well, which is something I find a little bit surprising. Uh, but he needs to learn to recognize those a little bit sooner. And he does lean and lunge in the run game. He'll get over his knees and kind of let his momentum carry him. Uh, so lots of positives. Good amount of negatives as well. That's why I think he's more of that that two slash three kind of player. I think what's difficult with these players' evaluations, I throw Joshua Gray in there as well, is I don't think the NFL is going to view him as a tackle. You know, Troy's arm length is over 35. So like, he does have freaky long arms. But when you're six three in change and your tape does not suggest you're probably an NFL left tackle, you're a guard. So just think, you know, the senior bowl situation helps to kind of find out more about these guys. But he was someone, a snap trap, snap trap technique. I can't get my words out. Um, was really, really impressive. Yeah, his, his hands, usage, you know, refitting, everything. Very advanced for a, a collegiate player. I was impressed over the summer when I watched him and I think he's been very good this season. Athletically, he's all there, so... I'm glad you brought up Josh Gray because I, I, I wanted to mention this. I forgot to say it while talking about Z-Val. This is the plus version of Josh Gray. Like This is Josh Gray <laughs> as an NFL player. This is the version of Josh Gray I would actually draft. So this is that's how I phrase it. Um, um, yeah, no, I, I think with the two of them, right, you, you see just, right, the, the tape it, it, is much better with Troy. I think also what helps is he does have the arm length, so... That makes it easier at tackle. But yeah, he's he's a a much better prospect than I think. Clear day two pick. It's just, you know, I think second round, if he goes to senior bowl and plays well at guard, third round, maybe if not, it's a tough transition. I think people, we, you always forget, right? This isn't Madden where you can just adjust their position and they stay the same overall. That's not how it works. They actually have to go out and play the new position and you're learning on the fly and you're in the NFL and, you know, guys with power, it starts to become a problem. I think we're seeing, you know, in the second round guys like Matthew Bergeron and Cody Mock, you see the flashes are awesome, but it's going to take time. They won't be uh, high end players year one like a Steve Avia is, who's playing the same position he did in college. So Avila's been, been, you know, very good. And the other two guys have flashed a lot, it's just not super easy. So I think if there are some struggles early on, it's because Troy's going to be playing a new position and he won't be for every scheme. Right. Uh, another guy who I think Kyle Shanahan would like, and he really needs a little bit of help, uh, especially at right guard. So maybe second round, if they don't take a kicker again this year, we'll see. But um, uh, yeah, I'm a fan of Troy Fautino. And last player, 
Kingsley from BYU, starting left tackle. I'm not going to try the last name again. I, I did it once. We'll call him Kingsley for, for the rest of the episode. But uh, thoughts on Kingsley from BYU. Oregon transfer, too. So, I'll take you through my journey of watching his film. I watched the Oregon game from last year first. And I was like, wow. People like this guy? I was like, he was awful against Oregon last year. And then I watched the Notre Dame tape last year. I was like, ah, that's a little bit better. And I watched this year's tape. And I'm like, holy cow, this is a different player. <laughs> He's an entirely different guy this year. He is so much better. I gave him a second round grade. He is fantastic. I love him. Uh, but yeah, last year, last year's tape, the first tape I watched from last year was kind of rough. I was like, wow, they really, people are really into this guy. But now watching him this year, I get it. He's much better this year. Now, it's really important to, to view that growth as well. Last year was his first time seeing significant snaps. And this year, you can tell the technical de- the technical development is there. He's a much better player this year. So I think that's really nice to see that level of growth from him because he's still a younger player. He entered this year uh, with under 700 career offensive snaps. And you have some guys in his draft class who are going to hit 3,000 by the end of the year. And he entered the year with under 700. So you have to take that into account. He is a younger, newer player. And you can see in his game, there's still issues. He needs to correct, but he's heading in the right direction. So I gave him a second round grade based a lot on the developmental upside. Uh, if you told me if he continued to play well this year and tested really well, which he supposedly will, I wouldn't be stunned if this guy ends up being one of the top 32 players taken. It wouldn't be shocking to me uh, just because of the build he has. So he played a right tackle most of last year, playing left tackle this year. Uh, he was part of the freaks list this summer. Apparently, he can hit 21.5 miles per hour, which is, for a guy that size, uh, pretty impressive. He's unofficially listed six foot six, 325 pounds, up a good chunk of weight compared to last year. And you can tell he's definitely added weight to his frame, uh, gotten much thicker, and he's a different player. His, his lower half is really filled out this year. He's got broad shoulders on a box-like upper body, appears to have really good arm length. He's able to just flatten smaller defenders, and that power really does show up. He's got really nice power in his hands. Lines up low in his stance, got wide base. His footwork or his initial footwork looks faster this year compared to last season. I still think that first step has to be better, but it's gotten much better than where it was last year. Uh, outside linebackers cannot play through his body at all. He's too strong. The upper body strength really pops. He's able to toss defenders. He's framing blocks much better this year compared to last year. The hand usage is so much better. Last year, his punches were slow, predictable. Now they're much more impactful. They have knockback. They're quicker as well. There's much better placement and timing with his punches. Uh, he's able to open up his hips and flip his hips and run with defenders if he has to to get back into the play if they get a step on him. He's really aggressive blocking for the run. The strength throughout his frame is really impactful when he's trying to seal, when he's trying to seal rushing lanes or when he's trying to move guys up the line. And he's a people mover on down blocks and in goal line situations. And he's got nice mobility as well to pull and lead block if he has to. Uh, so overall, I think he's just a wrecking ball when it comes to the running game. I like that part of his game. Some of the negatives for him, that first step, like I said, needs to be better. The foot speed and lateral agility tend to die if he slows down or stops moving. Uh, the pad level rises a little bit too high, a little bit too quick for me. And he's got to drop his anchor soon. Like he's got a thicker lower half now than I did last year, but he's still trying to play too high too often. He needs to be able to drop that anchor sooner in the play because he's still giving ground to speed the power a little bit and he does allow defenders into his chest which he has to improve uh, he carries his hands too low that's an issue for him he gets his hands up a little bit higher i think he'll be much better protecting his chest 
I, I expected more from his clamp right now. I haven't seen a ton of that really being too impactful at this point. I expect a little bit more from him in that area. He does resort to leaning on guys at times in pass protection. I think that needs to be fixed up. Uh, and he does not recognize stunts right now. That's a huge point of emphasis. Does not see them at all. He needs to fix that. And experience will help with that. Uh, but hopefully he can work that out of his game. The awareness right now is just not NFL caliber. Uh, but he'll have to work on that. And he's not the best at mirroring guys in space. I don't think he'll ultimately be a guy who gets asked to pull too much and block in space too much at the NFL level. But still a pretty good athlete for his build. Yeah, I think the experience thing is the biggest thing. If he were to come back to school, which I don't think he would, I think he'd be near the top of the, of the tackle rankings by the end of next year. But I, I, I don't know if he's a day one starter in the NFL just because of that lack of experience. I'm going to Broderick Jones with Pittsburgh. Granted, he had two years uh, of playing time, but just like you show on film that, hey, maybe you need some time to, to, to sit. Where does he rank? for you. I know we've had this conversation a lot. We are now adding him to the mix. Where does he rank for you tackle-wise right now? Let me pull up my board here real quickly so I don't forget so long because I would definitely overlook a name considering how many names there are in this there, class. There are too many. There are too many tackles. We're adding new ones every week. Yeah, it's just a ton. Uh, let me pull up real quick and I can give you an answer. I can tell you that I like both, uh, both tackles in the Oklahoma Texas game while I pull it up. I thought that Guyton had a solid day. I thought that Jones is continuing to be a guy who pops for me. Like, this is two or three weeks in a row now for Jones, where I'm like, this is yeah. legit. Yeah. I got really good I size. compared him to Terrence Steele. I think they have a lot of similar measurables. They're going to run well at the combine. I went a fourth on Jones over the summer. I think he may be, or he's going to have a guy we'll, we'll, we'll have to talk about soon because I think he may be the most underrated tackle in the country. But yes. Yeah, he's up there. Uh, all right, so we got Mims is my top guy. Olufoshan's mm-hmm. two. And of course, Mims is dealing with an injury right now, so we'll see how that all plays out. Those are my top two pretty easily. Wait, quickly on Mims. I feel like I've seen people just like disregard him. Like, yeah, it's uh, Fashanu, Alt, and Latham are the three. And then, you know, we'll we'll see it. But like, like those are the top three. I'm like, I, I think Mims is the best. <laughs> like, it, he got injured. Yeah, Kuiper doesn't have him ranked. I saw a couple other people that didn't have him. I was like, just because he got hurt, like I, I mean, he'll be back. You know, it's not career ending. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if they're assuming he's going to go back to school or or whatnot. I don't know why they're doing that. Uh, some of the people who I know who I know watch the tape still have him ranked very highly. Still have him as a top ten player. But some of the people who I think are a little bit more trendy in terms of how they approach it have really disregarded him. Like that's guys, come on. Watch the tape, guys. Watch it from last year. It's really good. Uh, so I got those are my top two. Jordan Morgan, by the way, excellent game last night from the first. <laughs> I watched only half of it, but excellent game. Uh, I missed them. I missed the important part, but excellent game last night for him. Guy and I said I thought he played well yesterday against Texas. Texas has a bunch of guys on the defensive line. Maybe not. Maybe none of them were super fantastic, but they're all pretty good. I thought Guyton played well. Uh, so those are my top four. I think that's not going to change. If you want to tell me that Kingsley is now my number five, maybe I th- I think Latham's played all right this year for Alabama at tackle. He's been better. I think Kingsley has the size. Like Latham had to wait though. Like Latham's lateral agility still uh, is a little bit concerning to me. I think Kingsley is in that tackle five conversation. It'd be him, 
Latham and Alt for me would be the five there. And Karam Amagaji is sitting there somewhere in the background. I don't really know what to do with him because I don't want to be too low. I don't want to be too high. Uh, but I think I think that Kingsley's in that tackle five conversation, which to me, that's really in that mid to late 20s range is when that tackle five comes into play on my big board. Uh, so I think he's in that that general range right now. I would probably take him. I would take him above Alt. I'll, I'll say that. I think I'd take him above Alt. So it really would come down to him and Latham for me. Would would be the guys um considering for that tackle five spot. And yeah, we talked about Christian Jones. I'm not going to spoil anything, but I think Patrick Paul may be a guy we're going to have to take a look at again um, pretty soon, just to see if he can enter that conversation as well. Not going to spoil well, anything. I, but just. I watched a little bit of Houston early in the year. He's he's done he's done well for himself from what I saw early in the year. I don't I haven't watched the past like two weeks, so I can't give you anything off that. But look good early in the year. Yeah, he may have entered the conversation. I, I was a little I've been a little bit disappointed with. I don't think Belton's dominated, um, but I haven't watched a ton of him, so I can't talk about where he's at. Yeah, I think I, I mentioned him like two weeks ago. I think I said I gave him a stock up. And then after that, he had like immediately like a bad game the following week. And this week he was just okay. He wasn't fantastic, but he was all right. So yeah. Yeah, he, I think he's he I think too. he's more of that. I think he's gonna be more of a, a like a late round two, round three kind of guy, honestly. Just with the way the tackle class is sorting out, I don't think he's gonna make the jump. No, I, I think I was expecting him to ascend this year and he just hasn't, right? You know, that's just Sometimes happens, right? You, you 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 hear things, you see things on film that are great, and it's like if he does this, he could be this kind of player. I don't think he's done that. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. It, it does speak to the depth of this class. Then you got all these guys. You got Karam. We talked about. You got John Cornelius for Oregon, who Oregon didn't play this past week, but he's looked really good so far this year. Yes, he's uh, he's a sneaky. Maybe we're this is a huge game against Washington and Braylon Trice because Trice has done very well this season. I'm thinking like this could be a uh, he reminds me a little nothing of the prospect, but like Tyler Smith from Tulsa, where it's like super young, but it's like we're looking at like 20 to 32 range. It's like, I, I don't know how the you know, maybe not in this year's class, but it's like I don't know how this guy doesn't come off the board. Granted, it's early and he hasn't played anyone, but he has it. That's not true. You know, they haven't played anyone great. You know, the Texas Tech rushers are good. And, you know, you know, Stanford and Colorado have some players. But I'm looking and I'm like, man, if he plays well against Washington, he hasn't given up a pressure yet this season. Making the jump, uh, we may be talking a little bit more about him. But, yeah, he's in the conversation. So it's tough with Karan just because, you know, how are you going to accurately grade the Dartmouth tape when you have, you know, guys going up against Texas A&M and Ohio State? It's just a little bit yeah. more difficult. Yeah, it's it's tough to say. And like I said, Patrick Paul is an ascending player. I think I actually didn't I didn't move him up enough in my past rankings for my past big board for September, which I was doing on the fly. I had to do it like in one night because I was I was going to go fly to California the next day, so I don't think I did the best with that ranking. But he's a player that's going up in the board. I think uh, Blake Fisher from Notre Dame and Macron Calvis from Pittsburgh kind of training down a little bit. I don't think they've had great starts of the year. Uh, one name I will bring up. Brandon Coleman played left tackle again yesterday for TCU. They kicked Andrew Coker to the right tackle, which, by the way, is the best version of their offensive line. So they should just do that of all time. Yeah. Our friend Ladarius Henderson started at left tackle yesterday for Michigan. Yeah, he's a guard. I don't, yeah, he's, he's an interesting one. Uh, he, um, he, oh, he's totally a guard. He's totally a guard. But <laughs> I just thought it was interesting that he finally got playing time. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think uh, someone's hurt. That's what I think I remember. Someone's hurt, which is so sad. Like, he could be starting 99% of the country, but Zach Zinter and Trevor Keegan were already in place as starting guards there. So they didn't have a spot, and he's not a left tackle, so I don't know why. But that's a story for another day. I thought, Yeah, Coleman, it's interesting because he was injured, so he I missed last week. I think he had a, a sprained ankle, so I wonder how he looked on film against Iowa State. It, I still think he could be an interesting one where you know, maybe he's the best guard in the draft, but maybe you know, still positional value kicks in at, you know, at some point. So we need you look at these starting tackles around the league right now. It's like, man, like Brandon Coleman, sure, he'd be an awesome card. But it's like <laughs> if I can get a good if I can get a good right or left tackle out of him, like, man, maybe that's more. But with the way Steve Avila has played this year, his tape has been really good. I think that's going to help Brandon as a guard and. Wouldn't be shocked yeah. if he's the clear number one guard in the draft. Well, you got the guys like the D three guys like a Gerald Minson from Tennessee. Like, where where does he go? Or Jack Nelson from Wisconsin? Oddly enough, I haven't seen a Jack Nelson first round mock in quite a while. Jack, it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of like all that top ten stuff, that top fifteen stuff he's getting over the summer was totally unwarranted. Yeah, no, yeah, I think the Washington State game may have ended that for him. But still, like he's in the conversation too. There's a lot of names, so. We'll have to figure it all out, but it's a good problem to have when you have a lot of tackles. So that was Jalen Polk and Jalen McMillan, wide receivers at Washington, Bum Memes, wide receiver Pitt, Troy Fountaineau, offensive lineman at Washington, and Kingsley from BYU, offensive tackle, who is definitely an ascending prospect. So thank you for listening to The Draft Report. Catch us every Wednesday talking all things NFL draft related.